invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. As we return this Sunday to our Sunday morning study through the book of Exodus. Exodus 13, looking at verses 1 to 2, and then 11 through 16. If you haven't brought a Bible with you this morning, our passage is found on page 55 in the Black Pew Bibles in the pew racks in front of you. So as we return to Exodus, after focusing on the resurrection of Christ uh, last week, uh, let me again set the context for us. Uh, back in chapter 12, verse 29, we saw the tenth and final plague on Egypt, and that was the death of the firstborn. And then at the end of chapter 12, we, uh, uh, we saw the beginning, uh, the institution of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, that actually ran from 1243 through 1310. Uh, and we actually see uh, right in the middle of that, in 13.1 and 2, we see the beginning of instructions for the consecration of the firstborn, which then are delayed and picked up again in verse 11. Hopefully you're following what I'm saying. We'll see it, hopefully, when we get into our text uh, this morning. But in other words, what we can see from the placement here, the Passover the Feast of Unleavened Bread is closely tied to the consecration of the firstborn. And so we'll see that, I think, I hope, as we study this text this morning. So I'll be reading 13, 1 to 2, and then skipping down to verse 11. So hear God's holy word. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. And then verse 11. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand 
or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. And thus far, God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Let's go to our God in prayer. Father, we pray that you would come this morning and write your word on our hearts, that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in it. We pray, O God, that you would teach us, even from texts that we might think do not necessarily apply to us, and yet all Scripture, O God, is given by you, breathed by your Spirit, for our instruction and for our building up in the faith. And so, God, build us up in this text this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alec Motier, Old Testament scholar, writes that life must be planned in such a way as to create what he calls an oasis of remembrance. Life must be planned in such a way as to create an oasis of remembrance. And this is true of the Passover celebration for Israel. It is true for the longer feast of unleavened bread. The Passover was feast was one night. Remember the Feast of Unleavened Bread went on for a full week. But it's also true for the consecration of the firstborn. It creates an oasis of remembrance. The tenth plague, remember, was the death of the firstborn. The Hebrew children were spared... But they were only spared because of what? Because of blood. Because of the blood put on the doorposts of the Israelites' homes. In other words, the blood, of course, there was a sign for the angel to pass over their, their homes. But the blood basically said that they were liable to judgment just like the Egyptians. But God passed over them. And the Passover meal and the longer festival celebrated their salvation. But the consecration of the firstborn was a reminder that God's people belonged to God. They were God's. God's own possession. God had saved them. God had called them to himself. He had called them to serve and to worship him, to be his own treasured possession. So let's look more closely at this passage together. The first thing that I want us to see is the consecration of the firstborn. The consecration of the firstborn. Notice the language here in verse 2 of chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. If you look at verses 11 and 12, we see different language, but the same idea. We are, you are, he said, to set apart to the Lord 
all that first opens the womb, set apart to the Lord. The firstborn of man, the firstborn of animals, animals in particular, clean ones. We'll come back to this. Clean ones are to be sacrificed, as we see in uh, verse 15. I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first open the womb, verse 15 says. But here we see that the firstborn sons are to be consecrated. They are not to be sacrificed. They are to be consecrated, set apart for the Lord, set apart for serving the Lord. In other words, at this point in Israel's history, all the firstborn males were set apart for priestly service, set apart to serve the Lord as priests, as priestly, uh, for priestly work. If you want to turn over with me to the book of Numbers, later, of course, the Levites are going to be set apart for priestly work. But notice in Numbers chapter 3, verses 11 to 13, it describes the transition from the firstborn of Israelites' sons to the Levites. Numbers chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, both of man and of beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. And if you continue, especially to the end of that chapter, you see the Levites are going to replace the firstborn. So the firstborn are saved. Why? To serve the Lord. And here's the key idea. When God saves us, he calls us. When God saves a people, when God saves individuals, he calls us to serve him. In one sense, in, in Egypt, the firstborn should have been put to death like the rest in Egypt, but they were saved by the blood, but they're called to service, saved to serve God, set apart to serve the Lord. Charles Spurgeon says this, every man must serve somebody. We have no choice as to that fact. Those who have no master are slaves to themselves. Depend on it, he says. You will either serve Satan or Christ, either self or the Savior. You will find sin, self, Satan, and the world to be hard masters. But if you wear the uniform of Christ, 
you will find him so meek and lowly of heart that you will find rest for your souls. And the New Testament says that all Christians are God's firstborn. That's the language that we see in the New Testament. All are firstborn. What does that mean? That we are all set apart as priests to God. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 22 and 23 refers to the church as the church of the firstborn. And as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, you, plural, you, plural, are a holy priesthood. And of course, many of us have come to know this as what? The priesthood of all believers. And that's exactly what this is ultimately pointing to here in Exodus chapter 13. All of us, brothers and sisters, are called to serve. All of us are called to encourage one another. All of us are called to pray for one another. And praying is a vital part of priestly ministry. Many of you have not been in the church long enough. In fact, I think the numbers are fairly few these days who knew a dear saint, Mary Marshall Young. She was very active in the life of the church well into her 80s. And when she was around 90, she, she couldn't do too much anymore, faithful servant, and I was visiting her once in her apartment, and she said to me after years and years of faithful service to this church, she said, I can't do much, but I can still pray, and pray she did, pray she did, the church, the members of the church, for the pastors of the church, pray she did. A wonderful hymn that goes what? You know it. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Let my moment, take my moments in my days. Let them flow in endless praise. Take my life and let it be consecrated. Set apart, Lord, for thee. Again, as Alec Motier puts it, the consecration of the firstborn teaches us that those who are the recipients of the blessings of salvation must accept and fulfill the consecration of life to which that salvation calls them. Salvation calls us to the consecration of life, or as Paul puts it, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. The consecration of the firstborn. Secondly, we see the redemption of the firstborn in our passage this morning. We see the language used a few times in our passage. Look at verse 13. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. And then we see again in verse uh, 15, uh, halfway 
in the, the verse, the second half of verse 15, therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. So what we see here is that neither children nor donkeys are to be killed or sacrificed to the Lord, but rather they were to be redeemed. They were to be bought for a price. That price was a substitute. They were redeemed. Now you ask, why a donkey? That seems kind of strange. Well, a donkey was an unclean animal. That's one reason. So a donkey was not to be sacrificed. A donkey was unclean. A donkey also was useful for transportation, for transporting goods, etc., etc. We don't really know for sure all the reasons why donkeys were uh, were not to be sacrificed. Um, they could substitute a clean animal, but the interesting thing here is if you don't want uh, to to uh, redeem the donkey by using a, a substitute, another animal, a lamb or whatever it might be, you'd have to kill it by breaking its neck. Why break its neck? Well, as Dr. Currid says, you were, you'd separate it from the sacrificial act or a sacrificial intent. Breaking its neck is very different from uh, other ways of killing, which would might look like sacrificing. But here we have this redemption being connected to death. Connection connected to death. As John Mackay puts it, redemption was not a costless matter. Redemption cost something. For Israel's redemption release, it cost Egypt's firstborn. For the redemption of Israel's firstborn, it cost a lamb. And the point here is that we need a a substitute. A substitute is offered on behalf of those who truly deserved death. A substitute died so that others would be allowed to live. Isn't it somewhat interesting here that both a man and a donkey needed a substitute. That man is closely related to a donkey in the narrative. Both are unclean. Both are sinful. Both deserve to die. The New Testament emphasis in redemption is on the, the costliness of redemption, the price of redemption. So we saw in the earlier passage, Paul's words, you were bought with a price. Redemption means to buy, to to purchase, to to pay a price for something. That is the, the very idea of redemption. Israel's redemption came at a great cost, the death of Many, many firstborn. And so our redemption came at a great cost. As the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 
chapter 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Or as he says, Paul says in Titus 2, Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Or again in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ himself became the lamb slain in the place of firstborn sons to redeem us. As Phil Riken puts it, redemption is very costly. It was costly to God, and in a way it is costly to us as well, because it demands everything we have. But it is also the source of our security and the basis for all our hope. I didn't choose this for our confession of faith today, but we regularly say together early in our service, Heidelberg Catechism, question number one, and it's fitting for this sermon. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer, as many of you, I think, can say by heart, that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil that he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on To what? To live for him. To live for him. That's what our redemption is. Bought so that we are wholeheartedly willing and ready to live for him. But third, we see the firstborn as substitute. Firstborn as substitute. Note here, not only are the firstborn males Saved, but it is the firstborn animals who are the ones who are slain. We see it in verse 12. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. That means given over in sacrifice. Verse 15 again, therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first open The womb, the firstborn, are the ones who are slain. It represents, in one sense, God's claim on all who come later. The firstborn are slain. In one sense, the firstborn of animals are slain in verse 15. 
that the firstborn of the sons might be redeemed. You see the language here in verse 15 of a, of a sacrifice. The language of sacrifice. One is sacrificed that the other might be saved. One in place of the other, a substitute for the other. At the Passover, of course, it was the blood of the lamb, the lamb who was killed in place of the firstborn of Israel. But of course, for the Christian, this is seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. As Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 1, knowing that you were ransomed or redeemed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. And he goes on to write this, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Here we have what, what we call substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. Many scholars, theologians want to deny this, but Scripture makes it absolutely crystal clear. Christ died in our place. Our substitute. Christ the Lamb of God dying in the place of his people. Furthermore, Christ himself is called what in scripture? The firstborn. The firstborn. Romans 8.29, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be, the son might be, the firstborn among many brothers. Or Colossians chapter 1, he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This language, firstborn, does not mean that he's a created being. It means he has the rights, the privileges of the firstborn, the inheritance rights. As the son of the king, he would rule. He is the king. As we sing, he shall reign Forever and ever. And that the amazing thing is, this king is the one who became the substitute lamb for his people. The substitute lamb for his people. As Jesus himself said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As John the Baptist says explicitly of Jesus in John chapter 1, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At our Monday Thursday service, we sang these wonderful Words sparing shame and scoffing rude. In my place, condemned, he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. 
Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for our great Savior, Jesus. We thank you, our God, that he became our substitute. That Lamb of God who took the punishment that we deserve on himself so that we might have life in Christ. Our God, how we thank you for the great Savior who even now intercedes for us at the right hand of the majesty on high. God, fill us with love for Christ this day. Fill our hearts with worship as we give you all praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.